August's episode is here, and today we're talking about the world's favorite drug, caffeine, and deconstructing decaf coffee while we're at it. Good morning, and welcome to episode 7 of the Beans Talk Coffee Podcast, where we believe your coffee has something to say. Learn how to listen and enjoy your coffee more each month with me as we taste our way around the world and build a better understanding of our daily brew right from home. It tastes better this way. I'm your host, Trevor Ogborn, and today we're drinking slow motion decaf from Counterculture Coffee. I hope you're able to sip it alongside me. As we do at the beginning of every episode, we're starting out by tasting this month's featured coffee because life happens after coffee and it's time to get started. Now, I know I mentioned it's decaf this time around, a polarizing topic for many coffee drinkers. There are multitudes of coffee-obsessed who proudly complain death before decaf, as if that mantra somehow certifies their commitment to coffee culture as a whole. I don't count myself among them, because decaf is for the true coffee drinkers, as we'll cover with today's topic. If you eschew coffee merely because it doesn't contain caffeine, then how can you say you really love coffee? Truly love it. As far as I'm concerned, anyone who can appreciate coffee for more than just a delivery device for caffeine is truly committed. Sorry, not sorry. And that's my soapbox. I'm not getting off of it. Not until I've had a proper sip of coffee at least. Might as well make it slow motion decaf. Slow motion is pleasantly smooth to drink and has a characteristic sweetness that is just delightfully accessible and familiar. Milk chocolate comes through prominently on the nose and on the tail end of the sip, it's molasses tasting notes that really linger sweetly and subtly. It's almost like sipping on a soft, chewy molasses cookie, and I can't help but think of warm fall sunsets sitting on the porch and reading a book with this coffee by my side. That's all I'll say for now, but stick around and we'll talk more about counterculture coffee and their slow motion decaf blend at the end of the lesson. So, caffeine. This chemical is widely considered to be the most consumed drug in the world, with somewhere in the neighborhood of 100,000 tons, that's nearly 10 Eiffel Towers, of it consumed annually. And that's talking about caffeine specifically, not coffee to be clear, although coffee is one of the most prevalent delivery devices for caffeine. And it is a drug too, which is defined as a medicine or other substance which has a physiological effect when ingested or otherwise introduced to the body. Caffeine's effect? Energy or at least it tricks you into thinking you have it. That's because caffeine doesn't actually contribute any calories, a unit of energy that we usually get from consuming carbs, fats, and proteins. Instead, caffeine is a stimulant that interacts with our brain chemistry. Our brain communicates through the release and intake of chemicals, and it has a bunch of different receptors that tell our brain how to react. One of these receptors is designed for a chemical made naturally by the brain called adenosine. Put simply, as adenosine is made, it binds to the adenosine receptors, slowing nerve function, dilating blood vessels, and ultimately imparting a sense of drowsiness and lethargy. As adenosine builds and docks to its corresponding receptors, sleepiness grows and our feeling of energies and alertness drops. Now, visualize the brain as a parking lot, and the receptors as parking spaces. There are a number of spaces allocated specifically for adenosine to park. Once those spots are taken, though, any remaining adenosine has nowhere to park and effectively just takes laps around the parking lot until a spot opens up. Enter caffeine. Because it looks nearly identical to adenosine, as far as the brain is concerned, caffeine is able to trick the adenosine receptors into letting it park in those spaces. 
and because there are a limited number of spaces, more adenosine winds up just circling the lot without a place to park and therefore can't cast its sleepy spell on the brain. More so, caffeine actually tricks the brain into going the opposite direction, releasing adrenaline, the fight-or-flight hormone, into the system. This increases heart rate, dilates pupils, opens up airways, raises blood pressure, and tells the liver to release more sugar into the bloodstream. Now, you're not actually getting more energy, but it is telling your system to tap into existing energy sources that it otherwise wouldn't and ignore the pleas of adenosine to ramp down and take a nap. Here's the thing, though. We need restful sleep to survive, and the brain recognizes this. As a result, it sees that all of the parking spots are full, but now it's not getting adequately sleepy. So it builds more parking spots for adenosine, more receptors. This is why we wind up needing more caffeine in order to continue filling the lot and preventing adenosine from parking and winding things down. Where one cup of coffee used to keep us going all day, we need to start adding one to two to maybe four cups of coffee just to keep that parking lot completely full of caffeine. This becomes a problem because caffeine has a half-life of five to six hours on average. That means for the average adult, it takes five to six hours for half of the caffeine molecules to leave their parking spots and make room for adenosine to park. It takes up to 10 to 12 hours later for you to even just have a quarter of the caffeine still in your system. Depending on how much caffeine you're consuming daily and how late in the day you consume it, this can have a huge impact on your sleep. To sum it up, the more caffeine you consume, the more receptors you develop. The more receptors you develop, the more caffeine you need to avoid drowsiness. And the cycle just continues until your caffeine consumption starts really affecting your sleep patterns, even when you so desperately need a restful sleep. There is some good news here, though. The brain is actually really good at recovering from this cycle. If you decide to wean yourself off of caffeine to break the cycle, you're going to surely spend some exhausted mornings trying your best to fight the overflow of adenosine rushing into the plentiful vacant parking spots left. But the brain recognizes this, and it only usually takes a couple of days to reabsorb its surplus of adenosine receptors, effectively taking out those parking spots, returning things to the way they were before. That's caffeine, pretty much in a nutshell. I don't want to come across as if I'm knocking caffeine, though. I believe decaf is for the true coffee lovers, but I also tend to take full advantage of caffeine and its benefits. I am sharing this so that you understand some of the faults in having too much caffeine and present you with the alternative, decaf. Whether you're trying to decrease that tolerance, enjoy a delicious cup of coffee later in the day without messing up your bedtime, or responding to the death of your father, whom you believe died from caffeine poisoning, decaf is actually a mighty fine solution. Alright, that last one wasn't super subtle as far as a transition goes, but commercially viable decaf coffee first came about in 1903 after Ludwig Roselius' father, allegedly an overzealous coffee drinker, kicked the bucket. Now, Ludwig was a German coffee merchant at the time, and he suspected caffeine to be the culprit. So he set about using a combination of brine and benzene to successfully extract caffeine from coffee beans. Ironically now, though, benzene is a known carcinogen and is no longer used in the creation of decaf due to the related health concerns. With that said, decaf didn't go away. Nowadays, there are four primary methods for extracting caffeine from coffee. Indirect solvent-based, direct solvent-based, Swiss water process, and carbon dioxide process. That is a mouthful, but we're going to break each of them down. Because the way your decaf is processed matters. 
For both indirect and direct solvent methods, the decaffeination process relies on a chemical to basically dissolve slash absorb the caffeine selectively, and there are two chemicals currently deemed suitable for the job, methylene chloride and ethyl acetate. With indirect decaffeination, the coffee beans are soaked in near-boiling water for hours to extract all of their oils, flavors, and caffeine. The now effectively flavorless and caffeineless beans are removed from the extracted liquid and methylene chloride or ethyl acetate is added in. These volatile chemicals bind to the caffeine and are then evaporated off, taking the energizing drug along with them. The beans are added back into the soup of oils and flavors and are left to reabsorb as much of the good stuff as possible. With direct decaffeination, the beans are steamed to open up their pores, basically a spa day for the coffee, and once opened up, the beans are rinsed repeatedly with either methylene chloride and ethyl acetate to draw the caffeine out of the bean directly before being evaporated away. Now, you probably heard me say the word volatile and cringed, because it's kind of a scary word, but both chemicals are considered completely safe in this context. So little of it actually winds up in or on the beans by the end of the process that it's negligible, and because of their volatility, any remaining trace amounts would actually be vaporized during the roast and brew process. These are recognized as the most common methods for decaffeination these days, with one source citing that up to 70% of decaf coffees go through a solvent-based method. Usually if decaf doesn't specify the method used, you can assume one of these chemicals was involved. With that said, ethyl acetate is often marketed and distinguished as a natural decaffeination process, or something to that tune, and that's because it can be found in trace amounts in different fruits and plants, like cane sugar, and extracted naturally for use in decaffeination. Getting it naturally, though, is a lot more expensive than producing it synthetically, and again, unless your coffee shop specifies how it was derived, you can probably assume they use synthetic ethyl acetate, if that's something that's important to you. Moving on from solvent-based decaffeination processes, let's talk about Swiss water process. Pioneered in Switzerland in the early 1930s, hence the name, and commercialized in the late 80s, Swiss water processed decaf relies on osmosis to draw caffeine out of coffee instead of chemicals to dissolve it. Osmosis is the process of molecules passing through a semi-permeable surface in order to achieve equilibrium. So with this, Green, unroasted coffee beans are soaked in hot water to draw out all of the flavor, oils, and caffeine. This concentrated liquid, known as a green coffee extract, is filtered through charcoal, which pulls out the caffeine and leaves behind the flavor compounds and oils. The resulting concentrate is totally saturated with the flavors and oil compounds, but lacking in caffeine. Now, instead of adding those same beans back into the green coffee extract solution, they're discarded because they won't be able to effectively reabsorb all the desirable flavors and oils. Instead, new unextracted coffee is added into the solution. Because the solution is so concentrated with the oils and flavor compounds, it can't take any more out. So there's already equilibrium between the beans and the extract solution. The oils and flavors stay put. But because caffeine was filtered out of the extract solution, it's out of equilibrium and begins to pass out of the green coffee beans and into the solution via osmosis. The extract is filtered and reintroduced to the coffee beans repeatedly with this process until about 99.9% .9 of the caffeine has been drawn out. The result is a decaf coffee that has all of the original flavor and oil characteristics as it did before the caffeine was removed, all without the use of extraneous chemicals. Coffee shops are usually pretty proud if their decaf is processed this way because it's organic friendly, and so it is almost always clearly indicated as Swiss water decaf on the bags.
And then finally, there's the CO2 method. Liquid carbon dioxide can selectively dissolve caffeine, similar to methyl chloride and ethyl acetate can. Water-soaked beans are placed into pressurized metal chambers and flushed with liquid CO2. The CO2 is then pumped into a separate container and allowed to return to its gaseous state, leaving behind a pure caffeine. Because of the equipment and pressures required for CO2 caffeine extraction, somewhere around 1,000 pounds per square inch, this method is expensive and usually reserved only for large commercial batches of supermarket-grade decaf. So that's a pretty good summation of the four methods that are currently used for decaffeination. And with this, I'd like to try and tie it back to the coffee we're drinking today. Today's featured coffee is Slow Motion Decaf from Counterculture Coffee. They're based in Durham, North Carolina. They tout a chemical-free water process for decaffeination for this coffee. And this makes me think it's Swiss water. But it's interesting they don't actually use the word Swiss, which is not the norm if they did indeed go that route. Now they say on the bag, we pay extra attention to decaf because we know people love it solely for its flavor. Bingo. For slow motion, we start with great coffee from the same farmers we work with for all of our coffees and decaffeinate it in small batches using chemical-free water processing. Another signal that this is a Swiss water processed decaf is that it's listed as organic and Swiss water is the only organic friendly method for decaffeinating coffee. Now speaking to the company itself, Counterculture Coffee came about in 1995 and has come to focus on providing quality coffee, education, and sustainability through its values. On that last point, they say they strive for measurable environmental, social, and fiscal sustainability in everything they do. They value continuous improvement, pushed through supply chain partnerships that are built on communication and transparency. Acting responsibly and working collaboratively, they can make coffee a force for good in the world. I'm personally impressed by the transparency offered through their website, which details their specific supply chain from seed to cup. If you're more interested in learning about that, I highly recommend you visit them on the web or in person if the opportunity arises. I'll include a link in the show notes and on my blog so you can find them. Also of note, the slow motion decaf I received from them is probably the freshest coffee I've ever had the pleasure of enjoying. Roasted literally days before it showed up in my bail box, it filled the room with a warm, sweet, chocolatey aroma before it made it out of its box. And the packaging is a beautiful experience in itself. Featuring bold, bright, modern colors and design, it's a bag of coffee I'm honestly proud to have prominently on my counter. And as you can see in their online catalog, each bag has a distinctly different color while maintaining a cohesive feel as a whole. It makes me want to order more and complete the set in a sense. It's brilliantly executed. Sipping this coffee, I find it rich with the molasses and cocoa notes rolling over the tongue with remarkable smoothness. No cream or sugar needed here. They source the beans for slow motion from Peru, which is known for clean, sweet coffees. The World Atlas of Coffee points out that Peruvian coffees are not typically known for its complexity and flavor, and I agree in this case, but slow motion is almost comfortingly sweet and non-complex. It's accessible. Now, for what it's worth, Peru is perfectly capable of producing complex coffees based on its terroir. It saw coffee somewhere between 1740 and 1760, but didn't begin exporting it until the late 1800s. Unfortunately, due to the International Coffee Agreement, prices were guaranteed at the time, meaning that incentives to invest in infrastructure and increase quality were non-existent, something that it's still recovering from today. Thanks to efforts of non-government entities like Fair Trade, however, the country is beginning to devote more land and resources to coffee production. 
We'll probably talk more in depth about coffee markets, pricing, and the like in an upcoming episode, but the key takeaway is that coffee roasters and shops that are willing to pay higher prices for coffee from these types of regions allow farmers and co-ops to invest in better, more accessible equipment and improve the circumstances for their families and communities. And that's what's so great about third-wave coffee roasters, like Counterculture, that value the relationships and processes behind their coffee. I hope you enjoyed this month's coffee too, and that you're able to take this lesson and carry it forward with you as you enjoy your coffee more. If there's any takeaway here, it's that you shouldn't write off decaf coffee. It's for the true coffee lovers, and that not all decaf is the same. There's actually things you can pay attention to. Thanks for listening to the Beans Talk Coffee podcast. I hope you enjoyed your coffee just a little bit more today. If you have any questions about coffee that you'd like me to answer, I'd love to hear them. You can always email me at bt at beanstalkpodcast.com. You can find out more about upcoming featured coffees with links to purchase, how I'm brewing it, and other information about this project online at beanstalkpodcast.com. There you can sign up for the Beans Talk Coffee newsletter to get updates and links right to your inbox. I hope you'll also connect with us on social media, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Until next week, sip, sip, share. Hey again, Trevor here. If you're a coffee roaster or have one you'd like me to reach out to, please visit my website and let me know. I'm thrilled to get in touch with different roasters around the world to feature their coffees. It's completely free, and all I ask is they donate a bag of coffee for me to sample on the show. Thanks, and have a great day.